Uh, my friend uh, Sherlock Holmes worked rather for the love of his art than for the acquirement of wealth. Glancing over my notes of some odd cases, I cannot recall any with more singular features than the case of the speckled band. I might have placed them on record before, but for a promise of secrecy from which I've only been freed in the last month by the untimely death of the lady to whom I gave it. It began early one morning in April 1883. Watson. Wake up, Watson. Uh, uh, what Come along, Watson. It's oh. a quarter past seven. Oh. It seems that a young lady has arrived in a considerable state of excitement. Uh -huh. Now, when young ladies wander about the metropolis at this hour of the morning and knock sleepy people up out of their beds, mm. I presume that it's something very pressing which they have to communicate. Should it prove to be an interesting case, I'm sure you would wish to follow it from the outset. Young woman, eh? Oh, just give me a few minutes to dress and I'm ready. Good morning, madam. My name is Sherlock Holmes. Good morning, Mr. Holmes. This is my intimate friend and associate, Dr. Watson. Good morning, ma'am. Good morning, doctor. Oh, I'm glad to see that Mrs. Hudson has had the good sense to light the fire. Now, pray draw up to it, madam. It is not cold which is making me shiver. You must not fear. We shall soon set matters right. Yes, certainly. But now, madam, I beg you to lay before us everything that may help in forming an opinion about this matter. The real horror of my situation seems to be that my fears are so vague and my suspicions depend so entirely on small points which might seem trivial. You'll probably tell me they are nothing but the fancies of a nervous woman, but I've heard, Mr. Holmes, that you can see deeply into the wickedness of the human heart. I'm all attention, madam. My name is Helen Stoner, and I'm living with my stepfather, Dr. Grimesby Roylott of Stoke Moran, on the west border of Surrey. One of the oldest Saxon families in England, I believe. And at one time amongst the richest, too. But in the last century, four successive heirs wasted the fortune. All that was left was a few acres of ground in the house. The last squire dragged out his existence there, living the horrible life of an aristocratic pauper. But his only son, my stepfather, saw that he must adapt himself to the new conditions and took a medical degree. Then he went out to Calcutta and established a large practice. However, in a fit of anger after his house had been robbed, he beat his butler to death. Gracious heavens! He narrowly escaped a capital sentence. As it was, he suffered a long term of imprisonment and then returned to England a morose and disappointed man. When did Dr. Roylott marry your mother, Miss Turner? While he was in India. My mother was the young widow of Major General Stoner of the Bengal Artillery. My sister Julia and I were twins. We were only two years old at the time of my mother's remarriage. I see. Shortly after our return to England, that was about eight years ago, my mother was killed in a railway accident near Crewe. Oh, tragic, Miss Watson. Dr. Rylett then abandoned his attempts to establish himself in practice in London. And he took us to live with him in the ancestral house at Stoke Moran. About this time, a terrible change came over my stepfather. A change? Yes. Instead of making friends and exchanging visits with our neighbors, he indulged in ferocious quarrels with anyone crossing his path. He became the terror of the village. He's a man of immense strength and absolutely uncontrollable anger. Is there any history of violence or violence of temper in his family, to your knowledge? There is indeed. 
I think in my stepfather's case, it's even worse, as he lived so long in the tropics. Only last week, he hurled the local blacksmith over a parapet into a stream. It was only by paying over all the money I could get together that I was able to avert another public exposure. Terrible. Terrible. His only friends now are the wandering gypsies. He gives them leave to camp on what's left of the family estate. Oh, and uh, he has his animals. He's a bit of a farmer, then. Nothing like that, I'm afraid. He has a passion for Indian animals. Oh? At this moment, he has a cheetah and a baboon wandering quite freely over the grounds. <laughs> they are feared by the villagers almost as much as their master. But to continue... You can imagine that I and my poor sister Julia had no great pleasure in our lives. No servant would stay with us, and for a long time we did all the housework. She was only 30 at the time of her death, but her hair had already begun to whiten, even as mine has. Your sister is dead, then? She died just two years ago. We have an aunt living near Harrow, whom we were occasionally allowed to visit. When Julia went there at Christmas two years ago, she met a half-pay major of Marines and became engaged to him. My stepfather learned of the engagement when my sister returned and offered no objection to the marriage. But within a fortnight of the day which had been fixed for the wedding, the terrible event occurred which has deprived me of my only companion. Miss Stoner, pray be precise as to details at this point. Oh, Easy for me to be so, for every event of that dreadful time is seared into my memory. Only one wing of the house is now inhabited. The bedrooms are on the ground floor. The first is Dr. Roylott's, the second was my sister's, and the third my own. There's no communication between them, but they all open out into the same corridor. Do I make myself plain? Perfectly so. Yes, the windows of all three rooms open out upon the lawn. That fatal night, Dr. Roylott had gone to his room early, but we could smell his strong Indian cigars. Julia was in my room, chatting about her approaching wedding. At 11 o'clock, she rose to leave me. Helen, darling. Yes, dear? Tell me, have you ever heard anyone whistle in the dead of night? Whistle? <laughs> no, never. Why are you asking? Because during the last few nights at about three in the morning, I kept hearing a low, clear whistle. It seems to be from the next room or, or perhaps from the lawn. I thought I'd just ask you whether you'd heard it. Oh, no, I haven't. It must be those wretched gypsies in the plantation. Yes. Very likely. And yet... If it were on the lawn, I wonder you didn't hear it also. Ah, but I've less on my mind than you. And I sleep more heavily than you do. Well, I don't suppose it matters. Good night, darling. Good night, Julia, dear. Just one moment, Miss Turner. You locked the door after your sister? Yes, I did. Was it your custom always to lock yourselves in at night? Always. Why was that? Well, I, I mentioned that Dr. Roylott keeps a cheetah and a baboon. We wouldn't have felt safe unless our doors were locked. Ah, quite so. Uh, pray continue, please. Well, I, I couldn't sleep that night. 
I had a vague feeling of impending misfortune. My sister and I were twins, you know. We seemed to be very closely bound. Yes, often the case. It was a wild night, with the wind howling and the rain beating against the windows. Suddenly, over all the hubbub of the gale, I heard the wild screams of a terrified woman. I knew it was my sister's voice. I rushed into the corridor. As I opened my door, I, I seemed to hear a low whistle and then a clanging sound as if a mass of metal had fallen. My sister's door was unlocked and revolved slowly upon its hinges. I was rooted to the spot, not knowing what was about to issue from it. Then, by the light of the corridor lamp, I saw my sister coming out with her face blanched with terror, her hands groping for help. A whole figure swaying to and fro like a drunkard. Julia! Julia, my darling! What is it? What happened? Who had it? It was... Yes, it was the band. The speckled band. The speckled band. Julia! my sister's side. She was unconscious. She slowly sank and died without recovering. And such was the dreadful end of my beloved sister. A terrible story, ma'am. What conclusions did the coroner come to, Miss Turner? He was unable to find any satisfactory cause of death. My evidence showed that Julia's door had been fastened on the inside and the windows were blocked with old-fashioned shutters with broad iron bars. The walls were carefully sounded, and they were found to be quite solid all round. The floor was also examined with the same result. The chimney? It's wide, but it's barred up by four large staples. Were there any marks of violence on her? None. How about poison? The doctor examined her for it, but there was nothing. Miss Turner, what do you think this unfortunate lady died of? It's my belief, Mr. Holmes. She died of pure fear and nervous shock. And what do you think frightened her? That... I cannot imagine. You said there were gypsies about the place. Were there any at the time? Yes, Dr. Watson. There are nearly always some. Mm. What did you gather from this allusion to a band? A speckled band? I've sometimes thought it was merely the wild talk of delirium, but it may have referred to some band of people. The gypsies? It had crossed my mind. I don't know whether the spotted handkerchiefs some of them wear over their heads might be described as speckled bands. These are very deep waters. Pray go on with your narrative. Two years have passed since then, Mr. Holmes. My life has been lonelier than ever until just lately. However, a dear friend whom I've known for many years has done me the honour to ask me to marry him. What is your stepfather's view? Oh, he's offered no opposition whatever. I see. But two days ago, some repairs were started in the west wing of the building. My bedroom wall is affected. So I had to move into the room into which my sister died. I'm sleeping in the very bed in which she slept. So you can imagine my terror last night as I lay awake thinking of her terrible fate. When I suddenly heard in the silence of the night 
the low whistle which had been the herald of her own death. Oh, great heaven. I sprang up. I lit the lamp, but nothing was to be seen in the room. I, I was too shaken to go to bed again, however. So I got dressed, and as soon as it was daylight, I slipped down to the Crown Inn and got a dog cart to drive me to Leatherhead. My one object was to see you, Mr. Holmes, and ask your advice. You have done wisely. But have you told me everything? Yes, I have. Miss Stoner, you have not. Mr. Holmes... You are screening your stepfather. I, I don't understand what you mean. If you'll permit me to turn back the fringe of your sleeve. Thank you. Terrible. You have been cruelly used, madam. Oh, he, he is a hard man. Perhaps he hardly knows his own strength. This is very deep business. But we haven't a moment to lose. Now then, if we were to come to Stoke Moran today, would it be possible for us to see over these rooms without your stepfather's knowledge? Yes. As it happens, he was speaking of coming into town today on some important business. Excellent. What are you going to do yourself, Miss Turner? Now that I'm in town, there are one or two things that I'd like to do. I shall go back by the 12 o'clock train so as to be there in time for your coming. But my heart is lightened already, gentlemen. I shall look forward to seeing you again this afternoon. Allow me to see you out, Miss Turner. Thank you. <clears throat> well, Holmes? What do you think of it all, Watson? Dark and sinister, that's what I think of it. Dark enough? And sinister enough. But, Holmes, if she's correct in saying the floors and walls are sound and the door and window and chimney impossible, then her sister must have been absolutely alone when she met her death. Death in a sealed room, in other words. What the devil? Which of you is Holmes? My name, sir, but you have the advantage of me. I am Dr. Grimesby Roylott of Stoke Moran. Indeed, doctor. Pray take a seat. I will do nothing of the kind. My stepdaughter has been here. I have traced her. What has she been saying to you? It is a little cold for the time of the year. What has she been saying to you? But I've heard that the crocuses promise well. Ha! You think you can put me off, do you? I know you, you scoundrel. I've heard of you before. You are Holmes the meddler. Holmes the Scotland Yard jackal office. <laughs> Your conversation is most entertaining, Dr. Roylott. When you go out to close the door, there's a decided draft. I will go when I have had my say. Don't you dare to meddle with my affairs. I know the girl has been here. I'm a dangerous man to fall foul of. See here. I'll show you how I can bend a poker and how I can bend you for two pins. That's what I can do to you. See that you keep yourself out of my grip. Come here, Benjamin. He seems a very amiable fellow. I'm not quite so bulky myself, but if he stayed, I might have shown him that my grip is not much more feeble than his own. Careful, Holmes. There you are, quite straight again. Oh, I. Say, Holmes. Yes, and fancy he's having the insolence to confuse me with the official detective force. <laughs> However, the incident gives zest to our investigation. Yes, I hope the dear little lady won't suffer from allowing this brute to trace us. Let's hope not. And now, Watson, we shall order breakfast. Afterwards, I shall walk down to Doctor's Commons, where I hope to get some data which may help us in this matter. Oh. 
Oh, Holmes, I wondered if you'd be back for lunch. What have you got there? Some rather interesting notes. I've been examining the will of the deceased wife. Of Roylott? Yes. The total income at the time of his wife's death was little short of 1,100 pounds. Warm villain. Each daughter could claim a third of the income in case of marriage. So if both girls had married, this beauty would have had a mere pittance. I see. And now, Watson, I think we must forego lunch and take a cab to Waterloo. Very well, if you say so. I'd be much obliged if you'd slip your revolver into your pocket. An Elias number two is an excellent argument to a gentleman who can twist steel pokers into knots. Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson, I've been waiting so eagerly for you. Ah, Miss Turner. It's all turned out splendidly. Dr. Rylance has gone to town and it's unlikely he'll be back before evening. We've had the pleasure of making the doctor's acquaintance. Where? He came to our rooms. He followed me then? So it appears. What will he say when he returns? He'd better be on his guard. He may find there's someone more cunning than himself on his track. But now we must make the best use of our time. Yes, of course. If you'll kindly take us at once to the rooms we are to examine. If you'll follow me, then. This is the door, I take it, of the room in which you're now sleeping. Yes. Dr. Roylott's room is on one side of it and your old room on the other? That's so. You're sleeping in here only while alterations are going on, I believe you said. Well, Doesn't I... seem much need to repair the dead end wall. It's solid enough. I believe it was simply an excuse to move me from my room. Ah, that's suggestive. Now, if I may examine the room itself. Yes, please, come in. Oh. I see. Now, there are the shutters you close over the windows at night. Yes, yeah, strong enough by the look of them. Solid iron hinges. Nowhere to get a knife through to raise the bar. I believe you're correct, Watson. Oh, what else have we? Uh... Oh, what is that over the bed? A bell rope? Yes, it rings in the housekeeper's room. It looks newer than the other things here. Yes, it was only put there a couple of years ago. Oh? Let me have a look at it. Oh, this bell rope is a dummy. Look, you can see it's fastened to a hook just above the little opening of the ventilator. That's very absurd. I never noticed that before. There are one or two very singular points about this room. For instance, do you notice that the ventilator connects with the adjoining room? Good heavens. Oh, the ventilator was quite a recent addition, too. Done about the same time as the bell rope, I fancy. Yes. There were several little changes carried out about that time. They seem to have been of a most interesting character. A dummy bell rope and a ventilator which doesn't ventilate. With your permission, Miss Turner, we shall now carry our researches into the next apartment, Dr. Roylott's own room. Fastly furnished, I think. Yes. And a safe. What's in it? My stepfather's business papers. Oh, you've seen inside them? Only once, some years ago. It was full of papers. There isn't a cat in it, for example. Hmm? Cat? In, in a safe, Holmes? Well, uh, look at this. What's a saucer of milk doing here? We don't keep a cat. But there is a cheetah and a baboon. Hmm. Well, a cheetah is just a big cat. Yet I dare say a saucer of milk wouldn't go very far in satisfying its wants. Hello. Now, here is something interesting. It looks like a dog leash. Curled upon itself and tied to make a loop of whipcord. What do you make of that, Watson? <clears throat> well, it's, um, it's a common enough object, but I don't know why it's to be tied like that. That isn't quite so common, is it? 
Ah, me. It's a wicked world. And when a clever man turns his brain to crime, it's the worst of all. Now, Miss Stoner, it's very essential that you should absolutely follow my advice in every respect. Your life may depend upon your compliance. I assure you I'm in your hands. In the first place, my friend and I must spend the night in your room. It must be so. Let me explain. I believe that is the village inn over there. Yes, that is the crown. Very good. You must confine yourself to your room with a headache when your stepfather comes back. When you hear him retire for the night, you must open the shutters of your window, undo the hasp, put your lamp there as a signal to us, and then withdraw into the room which you used to occupy. I've no doubt that you could manage there for one night. Oh, yes, easily. The rest you will leave in our hands. But what will you do? We shall come over from the inn and spend the night in the room you've left. And we shall investigate the cause of this noise which has disturbed you. Mr. Holmes, I believe you have already made up your mind. Perhaps I have. Then, for pity's sake, tell me what was the cause of my sister's death. I should prefer to have clearer proof before I speak. And now, Miss Stoner, we must leave you. If Dr. Roylott returned and saw us, our journey would be in vain. Watson and I must make our way to the Crown and engage a room commanding a view of this part of Stoke Moran Manor House. Goodbye, Miss Stoner. Be brave. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. I have complete faith in you. You know, Watson, I really have some scruples about taking you with me tonight. There's a distinct element of danger. Can I be of assistance? Your presence might be invaluable. Then I shall certainly come. It's very kind of you. You speak of danger, Holmes. You've evidently seen more in these rooms than I did. No, I imagine you saw as much as I. But I fancy I may have deduced a little more. I didn't notice anything remarkable except the bell rope. You saw the ventilator, too. Yes. What harm can there be in that? Well, there is at least a curious coincidence of dates. A ventilator is made. A bell rope is hung, and a lady who sleeps in the bed dies. Did you observe anything peculiar about that bed? No. It was clamped to the floor. What? The lady could not move her bed. It must always be in the same relative position to the ventilator and to the rope. Now I'm beginning to see we're only just in time to prevent another subtle and horrible crime. When a doctor does go wrong, he is the first of criminals. He has nerve and he has knowledge. We shall have horrors enough before the night is over. Holmes, hmm? there's the light from the manor house. A signal. Come along, Ned, and keep a sharp lookout for that baboon. Yes, and the cheater. I shall be a good deal happier when we're in that room. Now, Watson, we must get in as quietly as possible and close the shutters without a sound. We must sit without a light. He would see it through the ventilator. He must believe she has gone to bed. Yes, I understand. Do not go to sleep. Your life may depend upon it. Have your pistol ready in case we should need it. I'll sit on the side of the bed and you in the chair. Right. Good. Let's get in there. Lantern's been lit in the next room. Yes, I see. 
Watson, you see it? I can't, I can't. Ah! It's gone. What is it, Holmes? I can't see. I... Watson, get your pistol out. Now into Wallace's room, quickly. Look at him. Look at his head. Wrapped around it. The band. The speckled band. Swamp Adder, the deadliest snake in India. He's dead already. Careful, Holmes! There's the dogfish in his lap. I, I got it. Now then, to slip the noose round this reptile's neck like... That got him! And if you'll open the safe door as quickly as you can, a little while, you'll pop it inside like that! Close the door quickly. Oh, with the greatest pleasure. Now we must remove Miss Turner to some place of shelter and let the county police know what's happened. But Holmes, what made you suspect you would find a snake? When I examined the room, it became clear to me that whatever danger threatened could not come either from the window or the door. The discovery that the bell rope attached to the ventilator was a dummy and that the bed was clamped to the floor instantly made me suspicious that the rope was there as a bridge. The idea of a snake occurred to me instantly, and when I coupled it with my knowledge that Dr. Roylott was furnished with a supply of creatures from India, I felt sure I was on the right track. Yes, yes, of course, I see. It would be a sharp-eyed coroner, indeed, who could distinguish the two little dark punctures which would show where the poison fangs had done their work. Well, what about the whistle? That was the next thing I thought about. He would put the snake through the ventilator with the certainty that it would crawl down the rope and land on the bed. But he couldn't be sure that it would bite the occupant of the bed. She might escape every night for a week before she fell a victim. Therefore, he had to be able to recall the snake before the morning light, or she would have seen it. So he trained it, probably by the use of the milk which we saw, to come back to him when he whistled to him. A snake charmer, eh? Something of the kind. When I saw the safe, the saucer of milk, and this loop of whipcord, any doubts I might still have had were dispelled. So the metallic clang... Was, was obviously it... caused by her stepfather hastily closing the door of his safe on this terrible occupant. Holmes? Yes, Watson? You know, I'm just beginning to feel rather thankful that I didn't know any of this before we settled down in that room in the dark. When I think of that creature sliding down the bell rope towards us... Well, we... at least I sat on the bed and gave you the chair. Yeah, so you did. And you knew what to expect, too. As soon as I heard the creature hiss, I knew for certain what we were up against. I don't mind admitting I was glad to get that candle lit and use my stick on the brook. With the result of driving it through the ventilator. And also with the result of causing it to turn on its master the other side. Some of my blows got home upon it and must have roused its snakish temper. It fled through the ventilator and fastened upon the first person it saw. No doubt I'm indirectly responsible for Dr. Grimesby Roylott's death. Mm. Mm. But I can't say it's likely to weigh very heavily upon my conscience. 